kind of analysis, if you will, to look chapter 21, we can define the term, the time sufficient pulse. Luke chapter 21. Look at verse 24, chapter 21 and verse 24. It shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be not captured into all the nations, and Jerusalem shall be fallen down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. In that phrase, the times of the Gentiles is based upon, initially, from Daniel's prophecies. It refers to the long period of time that began with the Babylonian captivity that continues until the actual second coming of the Messiah. And during that period of time, the Gentiles hold domination over the Jewish people in general, but over Jerusalem in particular. And so it's a long period of time that's been, uh, that began in, fi in uh, 586 BC and continues to present time. We'll until the actual second coming. Now this does not rule out temporary Jewish control during this period. And the six-day war when Israel captured Jerusalem, the assumption was, and taught by many for a while, the times of the Gentiles have ended. A study of Jewish history shows that what happened back in 1967 is the fourth time the Jewish people have had <coughs> control over the old city and each time it was temporary, so was this one, as we shall see. The first time the Jews were able to retake Jerusalem was deep during the Maccabean period, which began in 165 BC, all the way to 63 BC, but just slightly over 200 years, and then they lost it to Rome. The second time they had control was during the first Jewish revolt between the years 66 and 70, but suddenly they lost it again. The third time was in the second Jewish revolt in the year 132 through 135, and then lost again. What happened in 1967 is the fourth Jewish takeover of the city. However, as we know from Revelation 11, verse 1 and 2, Revelation 11, verse 1 and 2, they will lose it again in the middle of the tribulation, and the Gentiles will try to swim on the foot for four, 42 months, which is equal to three and a half years, which will be the second half of the tribulation. But even with the present day, keep in mind that the biblical Jerusalem, which is the old city, is primarily a Gentile city still. The 20,000 people who live within the walls of the city, but only about two to 3,000 Jewish people live in the Jewish court. And three quarters, which is the Armenian quarter, the Christian quarter, which is the Greek quarter, and the Muslim quarter are all Gentiles. And furthermore, because after the Six-Day War, Moshe Dayan, who was the leading uh, military commander, uh, turned the temple compound over to Muslim authority, not, not the political authority, but religious authority, and therefore they have full control of the temple compound that they're staying in control, times of coming and going and so on. And so on, they're still showing the time of Gentiles have not as yet ended. So, 
Thus are we confined the times of Gentiles, now turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, and this is what your outline will pick up. And to get a complete picture of the times of Gentiles, we need to make a comparative study of four chapters, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, Revelation 13, and Revelation 17. So Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 to 45. In verses 31 to 35, we have the uh, the, the um, dream Nebuchadnezzar had. In verse 31, he describes what he saw in this dream and what the appearance of the image was like. The image was mighty, meaning awesome, whose brightness was excellent. It reflected light and it stood before Nebuchadnezzar was an erected image, and the aspect of it was terrible. The verses 32 and 33 were told about the composition of the image was comprised of four different key elements. First of all, the head was made of fine gold, the breast and the arms was made of silver, the belly and thighs was made of brass, the legs were of iron, you got down to the feet, there was a mixture of iron and clay, part iron and part clay. There's some observations. First of all, we see a decrease in several areas. There was a decrease in the worth of the metals. The most expensive is on top, moving its way to the least expensive. There is a decrease in position from head to feet. There's a decrease in this specific <coughs> gravity that reaches top heavy a very weak on its feet. And that point is even made in verse 39, we shall see a bit later. And the uh, decrease element is fulfilled in the character and authority of each of the four Gentile empires that this image uh, uh, prophesies. Babylon was a, had a king who had absolute authority, and the king was above the law. The king that be the Persian Empire which had no dynastic right to rule. And even the king was not above the law, and once he signed a decree with his own ring, he had no power to change it. Then came the Greek realistic power, where um, there was no dynastic authority, but the kings came to rule by force of power or conquest, individual abilities. And then came the fourth empire, Roman imperialism. It was a republicanism that eventually degenerated into mob rule, merging with the imperial form of government. Became strong at the beginning, very weak at the end. While there was a decrease in the several areas, there's also an increase in two areas. First of all, there is an increase in the hardness of the metal. And secondly, there was an increase in the strength of the metal, fulfilled in the increase of one empire over the other, and the following empire was probably the preceding one. So much for the image. Now verses 34 and 35, what he sees in this dream was a small stone in verse 34. And it was kept without hands, showing it has a divine origin, and so smash the image, but smash the image by the feet. 
shown that the image of the stone, whatever it uh, prophesies, will come at the last state of the image, at the time of the final empire. And the result is in verse 25. First of all, on the image, the whole image was broken in pieces. It became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor, and the wind simply carried it away until it ceased to be seen visibly. And the sweeping away was so complete, there's no visible, the dust had no visible resting place. But the small stone, the smashed image, the stone began to grow and grow until it became this great mountain that filled the entire earth. So that essentially is the dream that we can as ahead. On the capital B, we he gives us the interpretation of the image. In verse 96, he declares that God has given him the interpretation of the image, and he's also given Daniel the interpretation. And he's the one that will reveal it. He points out it's not of any innate authority or ability he has. It is something that God of Israel revealed to him. And in verse 27 and 38, you have the first empire, which was the Babylonian Empire. And the head of gold was represented by the first king of the empire, Nebuchadnezzar. And he and his kingdom, his empire, was the head of gold. It was the grant that was given to Nebuchadnezzar. He was given sovereignty of the whole first empire. He was given power, which means he had the capacity to rule this kingdom. He was thoroughly given strength. This was the might, the display in coping with the problems of the kingdom. And fourthly, the glory, the honor of the empire. And how's the extent of his rule? Wheresoever men dwell, wheresoever animals lived, the whole inhabited world was given to Nebuchadnezzar. So he was given universal authority. The fact that he did not proceed to gain universal rule doesn't change the fact that what God told them, no matter where he goes to conquer further, he'll always win. So he desires he could continue to conquer the whole inhabited known world of that day to guarantee success. The same point is affirmed by Jeremiah chapter 27, verses 5 to 8. Jeremiah 27, 5 to 8, and also Ezekiel chapter 26, verses 7 to 14. Ezekiel chapter 26, verses 7 through 14, and he is the head of gold. He was an absolute monarch. And this is affirmed later in Daniel 5, verses 18 to 19, where Daniel spelled out to Belshazzar, your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, that what he wanted to do, nobody could stop him from doing it. The end of the second empire in verse 29, after you shall arise another kingdom, not really after Nebuchadnezzar, but after the Babylon Empire, arises another empire. Not just a kingdom, but a kingdom. And it is going to be inferior to the Babylonian Empire. Its influence and achievement since the roots of Babylon Empire went all the way back to Genesis chapter 10. That's what the root of the empire existed. Back in Genesis chapters 10, 11, the story of Babel. Babel was simply the shorter form of the name Babylon. 
of the meter of Krishna are lacking in the unity of God alone. And the meats and the Persians, though they are united, did not fuse into one people. They lack the um, ecumenicity, they lack the unity of the Vatican Empire. And the type of government was material because it was, it was subordinate to the law. And again, the Persian Empire could not change any command, any decree that was sealed or signed with his own ring. Then we come to the third empire at the end of Persian land, which was the Hellenistic Empire, and not the third kingdom of brass. And the kingdom started with the, um, the belly, and then to the upper parts of the legs and the thighs. The third empire territorially will embrace both east and west. And it begins with the um, United Empire under Alexander the Great. For his death, it breaks up into four divisions. Only two of these divisions have an impact on Jewish history, and this is Greece and Macedonia. And so you move the two legs from the belly, one, one king, Alexander, to two bellies, the two legs. This is Greece and Macedonia, two of the four divisions, but those two have the impact on Jewish history. It says, which shall bear rule over all the earth is given the same extent of authority as Babylon was. But like Babylon, it did not take all of the authority. But Alexander went much further east all the way to India, which Babylon never went that far east. But now in chapter 2, verses 40 through 43, we come to the fourth empire. And it will undergo together five stages, but the first three stages are mentioned here. In verse 4, it begins with the United stage, which is the Roman Empire stage. It will have the display and the strength of iron. However, it attacks and breaks in pieces, subdues all things, and crushes anything that would try to go against it. And as iron breaks and crushes, and the distinctiveness of the Roman Empire, it uh, outweighs all the three preceding empires, all of its accomplishments. And this would apply to the Roman Empire that began in the year 63 BC, not as an empire, but so far as taking Israel uh, as part of the empire, which began in 63 BC, and continued till the year AD 364. AD 364. Now verses, in verse 41, we have the two division stage. It shall be a divided kingdom because in the year 364, under Emperor Valtinian, Valtinian, who divided the empire into east and west, and the western Roman Empire remained as uh, at its capital, the city of Rome, but east Roman Empire, the capital became Constantinople, today that's called Istanbul. But in verse 42 to 43 comes the third stage, it's the ten division stage, represented by the ten toes. The ten toes in the bottom of the feet are partly iron, partly clay, partly weak and partly strong. And the lack of cohesion, since iron and clay cannot just mix together, became evident in the toes. They said they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. 
but they shall not cleave unto another, even as Zion does not mingle with the clay. The authority was vested in the masses as a republic. Eventually, all groups demand their rights. So Babylon was democratic, Medo Persia was oligarchic, Hellenistic Empire had the right of conquest as its authority, but the kingdom will attempt to unify all of its basic different ethnic divisions, but the attempt to mesh them into one ethnic identity will fail. And because they're seeking to unite elements, they cannot be united. Ultimately, they will not coalesce, will not become one. But it's only after the final stage of the Fourth Empire, in verse 44 and 45, will come the kingdom of God. The time is in verse 44, in the days of those kings, which kings, the ten kings, represented by the ten toes. Then God will establish his theocracy. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, as the nature of Messiah's kingdom will be eternal. It will last, it will be one form for a thousand years and probably mesh into the eternal order. And the sovereignty of this kingdom will not be left to another people. The Gentiles will not rule this final kingdom, this will be a Jewish kingdom, under the sovereignty of the king of the Jews. And it will bring to an end the times of the Gentiles. In verse 45, the stone. The st whenever the word stone in the Hebrew Bible is used symbolically, it's always a symbol of the Messiah. Examples include Psalm 118, verse 22, Psalm 118, verse 22, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, Isaiah 14, chapter 28, verse 16, 28, 16, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 9, Zechariah 3, 9. And this stone will bring to an end the times of the Gentiles. And again, the stone began to grow into a huge mountain. The word, the word mountain is symbolically, it's always a symbol of king or kingdom of Rome. If it is symbolically, it symbolizes a king or kingdom of Rome. And that will be the messianic kingdom that will come at the uh, end of the fourth Gentile Empire. The song, just to make some free comparisons, the four Gentile empires from human origin. God's kingdom is of divine origin. As far as duration, the Gentile empires are all temporary. One follows the other. One comes to an end. But God's kingdom will continue indefinitely. Then comes the power. The Gentile empires overcame each other by the strength of the military. But God's kingdom is unconquerable. Once it's set up, it will continue in one form. The Messianic kingdom will continue forever. In verse 45, Daniel makes clear that Nebuchadnezzar understands that it is his ability to rule as a result of the God of Israel, if not because of his own unique power. Okay, let's go to the uh, chapter 7. We have a more detailed outline in this chapter under outlines. 
They calculate the four visions of Daniel in chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. Introductions in verse 1 is of the first year of Belshazzar who received this vision in the year 553 BC. 553 BC. When Nebuchadnezzar not been dead for nine years, three kings followed Nebuchadnezzar at the great succession. Before Nebuchadnezzar, finally gained full authority by usurping the authority. And Belshazzar is co-ruling with Nebuchadnezzar, and Belshazzar is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel is now about 67 years old at this age. And the vision of chapter 7, chronologically, uh, comes between chapters 4 and 5. The actual vision comes between chapters 4 and 5. This is the first vision given to Daniel. And the content is a further elaboration of what Daniel chapter 2. So it reads certain things, also give us some new information. Let's make a comparison between chapter 2 and chapter 7. In the visionary in chapter 2 was a pagan king. In chapter 7, a holy prophet. The interpreter in chapter 2 was Daniel. The interpreter chapter 7 is an angel. The perspective of chapter 2 is from the human perspective. Human perspective, these four empires, especially the first one, the image was majestic. But chapter 7, we're given God's perspective on these uh, empires, and these are beastly, these are animalistic. And then he says, he wrote the dream. Immediately, one was fresh in his mind. He wrote the details of the dream, but not every detail. He says he simply gave us the high points, told the sum of the matters. Not everything he saw, only the essential features, which is what God wants us to know. The further vision is in verses 2 to 6. And what he sees is the great sea. The great sea in the Bible is the Mediterranean Sea. And he sees in this vision that the sea is just going into a turbulation. Continuous action, continuous basing. And he sees the four winds, north, south, east, and west, blowing upon the sea, causing its waves to be more turbulent. And so the four winds represent the four Gentile empires and also emphasizes God's sovereignty and God's providence. And it breaks forth upon the great sea, the Mediterranean. And when the word sea of waters is used symbolically, it's a symbol of the Gentile world. If it's used symbolically, it's always used of the Gentile world, as it does here in chapter 7, verses 1, 2, and 3. And out of the sea, he sees four trees coming up one after the other. What he points out is that each one that comes up out of the sea is diverse from the previous one. Each one is different from the other. And historians have noted the differences in the culture of the four empires. So Babylon is referred to as regal Babylon. Either Persia is called Voluptuous, Greek Medo-Persia. Greece is called Culture Greece. 
and Rome is called Imperial Rome. But the first piece is in verse 4. The first piece is line line, not a little line. But the main feature is a line. The lines that keep of the wild animals, land animals, is used as the symbol of Babylon in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 7. Jeremiah 4, 7, and chapter 49, verse 19. Well, but it has what a lion does not have, it has form, it has eagle's wings. An eagle is the king of birds. It was also a symbol of Babylon as yet in Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 40. Jeremiah 48, verse 40, <coughs> of the passages. And when archaeologists dug up the walls of Babylon, they found the Ishtar Gate, and Ishtar Gate showed images of winged lions that became already a symbol of Babylon in ancient times. And then he describes some of the events that began to affect the lion. The wings were plucked up, it was lifted up from the earth, it was made to stand like a man's hands, and a man's heart was given to it. It walks back to Nebuchadnezzar's uh, dream that he had back in chapter 4. As nearly as a man could become an animal, Nebuchadnezzar became nearly as an animal. As much as an animal could become human, so did the Babylon eventually lost his animalistic law, animalistic nature. It's about conquering territory and began focusing more on developing the culture. And so actually lost its true animalistic character became more humane. And this simply summarizes the experience in history of Babylon from lust of conquest to the building of culture. In verse 5 we have the second beast representing the meat of Persian Empire. This one was bear like. Not, not a little bear, but bear like. And the bear is less majestic than the lion. And often connected with lions, such as Proverbs 28, verse 15, just to give you one example. Proverbs 28, verse 15. The bear is more bulky, more weighty. And it conquers by sheer force of numbers. But this bear as it worked, was walking lopsided. It was lopsided because it became we started having, getting this kingdom status is when two nations combined, the Medes and the Persians, but it was a lopsided um, union because the Persians were far stronger and greater than the Medes were. But once they united into one kingdom, then they began to rise to empire status that bears three different kinds of uh, bones and teeth. And in order to become an empire status, the Medes of Persians had to conquer three kingdoms, Lydia, Babylonia, and Egypt. Lydia, Babylonia, and Egypt. And the conquest of those three other kingdoms, they reached this empire status. And it says they set unto it, arise and devour much flesh. There was further conquest beyond those three lives. Then comes the third animal in verse 6. This one is leopard-like. The leopard is less majestic than the lion, less grand than the bear, but it's quicker, swifter than either one. 
This also is a motif for nations, as in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 6. Jeremiah 5, verse 6. And this quickness describes the speed of conquest under Alexander the Great. It begins as one empire. When Alexander dies, he refers to the four weeks of a bird. The vision of the empire when Alexander the Great died was among his four temples. And the first division included Thrace and Bithynia, the second division, Macedonia and Greece, the third division, Egypt, Judah, and the final division was Syria and Babylonia, and every all the way east to India. But again, only two of these uh, divisions had an effect on Jewish history. And the four heads represent the four generals who divide the empire among themselves. And the meaning was given to it was the largest of the two preceding empires. Then comes the second vision in verse 7 and 8 that introduces us to the fourth beast. And he does not give us any animal we compare to. The first one was lion-like, the second one bear-like, the third one leopard-like. But he cannot compare this animal with any known animal that he knows. It's not as indiscriminate to try to give it a specific animal motif. But describes it as something terrible, something powerful, something strong exceedingly, and great iron teeth, which is the same metal that the Saw English of the Fourth Empire. And it thoroughly crushed all that preceded it. It devoured broken pieces, that was its feet. It crushed one civilization after another. Because he says at the past the end of verse 8, it was diverse from all the animals before it. There was something different about the fourth empire that made it unique from the first, second, and third. And he mentions it has 10 points. And then in verse 8 comes, starts out with 10 points. The number of faith is a little horn. So while considering the ten horns, Daniel noticed a smaller horn arising. It's now number 11. But as he arises, he approves three of the original ten horns. So number 11, but three are approved, leaving seven, and now is number eight. Here, the horn has the eyes of man show knowledge and the mouth speaking great things, showing boastfulness and personality. Now we come to the third question in verses 9 through 12. <coughs> in verses 9 through 10, he sees a vision of the ancient of days, as a vision going from the Mediterranean up to heaven. So this scene is not in heaven, where he sees thrones were being set up, and this was the angelic horn. And the ancient of days was God the Father. He's described as having a raiment that was white as snow, focusing on his holiness. The hair of his head was like pure wool, emphasizing his purity, not his age. He existed forever. But his purity. His throne was made up of a fiery flesh emphasizing the Shekhinah, the Shekhinah glory. 
the wheels go over a burning fire, which is a symbol of judgment. And the verse 10 is the judgment. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. This all symbolizes a judgment. And angelic beings of the angelic court, and they number thousands of thousands, most of them, 10,000 times 10,000 but before him. And they will be responsible to carry out what God decrees. So the judgment was set, and the books were opened. And what is focusing now is the judgment of the Gentiles, that is detailed out later in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. Now, verse 11 describes the destruction of the fourth beast. I beheld at that time, because of the voice of the great workers, their own state. The fourth beast is destroyed by the little horn stage. The destruction is the beast was slain, the body was destroyed, burned with fire, the fire verses 9 and 10. And the fire, ultimately Revelation chapter 19 verse 20, Revelation 19 verse 20 will be the lake of fire for the last rule of the fourth gentleman, power of the Antichrist will be cast into the lake of fire. Now look at verse 12. Concerning the three previous beasts, their dominion was taken away, the meaning ended when their empire was destroyed, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And what exactly that means, we'll see when we get to our third passage, which will be Revelation chapter 13. So some of the nations that were conquered as empires continue to exist, but no longer empire status. But the fourth empire comes to a very climactic sudden end. Now verses 13 and 14, we come to the fourth vision, the coming of the Son of Man. And based upon this verse, the term Son of Man became a messianic title you see frequently in the Gospels. He comes in the clouds of heaven, a symbol of his glory. He comes to the ancient of days, God the Father. He was escorted there by the angelic host. In verse 14, he receives the authority of the messianic and, and eternal kingdom. He's given dominion, glory, and kingdom. Purpose, that all should serve him, peoples, nations, and languages. And the dominion will be everlasting that shall not pass away. And this kingdom shall not be destroyed. And again, the messianic kingdom will last for a thousand years, but then it moves into the eternal kingdom not destroyed as a kingdom. Now we come to capital B for the next page. Now we're given the interpretation of the vision. In verses 15 to 27. In verses 15, 16, that makes his first request. The effect that the vision had upon Daniels in verse 13, my spirit was given in the midst of my body. This is actually an Aramaic original text, and the word means a sheath. The body is the word for body, is the word sheath. It's the sheath that is used to purchase sword in, because swords come in different shapes and different sizes, 
each sheet is made specifically for the sword as the whole. And that's how the, the soul, is, the spirit inside the body is viewed, as a sword in, in, in a sheet. So people sold Samuel after he died when he came out from below, and so on. He looked like Samuel as Samuel looked like, because the soul, the spirit, looked like the body. And in verse 16, he made the request, can you please interpret the things I have just seen? In the verses 7 and 18, he's given a simple summary of the visions. The beasts in verse 17, the beasts represent four kings or kingdoms that rise out of the earth. Now remember, in, chapter, in verses 1, 2, and 3, they rose out of the sea. But now they rise out of the earth and the land. To rise out of the sea emphasizes the Gentile identity. But rising out of the earth emphasizes that humanity, these are not heavenly kingdoms, these are human kingdoms. And each of these will see some further operation in the Daniel, but we will be focusing on the leader of the sun. And in verse 18, what only happens is the establishment of the kingdom of God, the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. The word saints is used seven times in the book of Daniel, and in context it's always referring to believing Israel. Believing Israel, they shall possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. But again, the kingdom will continue into the eternal order. But then Daniel makes a second request in verses 19 to 22 because he wants some more detail in verse 19 about the four priests. And again, the list is diverse from all of them. Exceedingly terrible, whose teeth were of iron, yells of brass, devoured breaking pieces, and burst with its feet. So the first, he emphasizes is diverse from all the priests in the empire. Now, well, if you look at Schlafline under capital B, notice the fourth empire is listed as the imperialism. Imperialism means that when an empire conquers, they send their own nationals to rule the conquered people. When Babylon conquered the territory, like they conquered Judah, they set up Jewish people to rule under their authority. So, for example, Gadaliah was the initial one, they became Nehemiah. Um, these, these were Jews uh, working under either prevalent authority, either Persian authority, or holistic authority. The Rome was different. Everywhere Rome conquered, the Rome conquered, they sent Romans to Rome. So, you find in the New Testament, procurators like Pontius um, Pilate, like Festus, like Felix, they were Romans. What made the Fourth Empire ruling is their, their imperialistic policy. Underneath the Persia, for example, Ezra ruled, Nehemiah ruled, under the Greeks, the high priest was the authority. chapter 7, notice that the fourth beast will conquer the whole world. Not just given a third of the whole world, but actually conquer the whole world. 
development some kind, Russia East West division will get ready to a one world government of some kind. We're not told what kind of government it will be. It'll be some it'll be a one world government. After a while it will divide into ten separate kingdoms. The ten separate kingdoms cannot be limited to Eastern Europe. They'll be worldwide. You know like North America being one, South America another Europe, being a couple of others, Asia, a couple of others and so on. These are just a facsimile. You don't know the exact divisions, but the whole world will have ten Gentile kingdoms plus Israel and ten Gentile rulers. Then the second part of verse 20 to verse 22, you have the next stage, the little one stage. He will, he will, as he rises to power, he will cause three of those ten horns to be created. And this horn had eyes, a mouth speaking great things, which look was more stout and sturdier than the fellows and the other ten. And in verse 21, he will warn against the saints and he will prevail. In verse 22, will come a sudden termination. And that's the fulfillment of verses 9 to 14. Until the ancient of days came, judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, judgment on their behalf. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom, and that will happen to the collapse of the fourth empire. Verses 23 to 27 is given a more detailed interpretation. Now verse 23 is the United States. The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom upon earth. It is diverse from all the kingdoms because of the policy of unfairism. And notice in verse, in verse 23, it will conquer the whole world. Not merely given authority will conquer the whole world. Now, when this is interpreted to mean Rome conquered the Vietnam world, but that's not true. The, for example, Rome did not go as far east as Alexander did, and go the Eagle as far east as India. Furthermore, if you visit the area of Scotland, you'll see the remains of the Hadrian's Wall. And they built, they built Hadrian's Wall to keep the ancient proto-Scots from attacking the Roman troops. And obviously, it's too to conquer up to a certain point. You can see this more now to conquer. So Rome did not conquer the whole world, nor did they even conquer the whole damn known world. But this one does. In verse 24, plus again the 10 division stage, arising out of this kingdom, the one world government, shall 10 kings arise. So before we can even see the future ten kingdoms, there must be a one world government first. And so these ten kingdoms are going to be worldwide. Then the verse, second part of verse 24 to verse 26, we have the final stage, which is the Antichrist stage. Second part of verse 24, we see as rise. It rises only after the ten division stage. It shall be the verse from the other ten kings. He shall put down the ten kings. The ten, the three kings, he shall put down three of those ten kings. The three kings he puts down 
He spells out in chapter 11, verses 40 to 45. Chapter 11, verses 40 to 45, the king of the north, which is the king of Syria in Daniel's book, the king of the south is the king of Egypt, and the king of the east is the king of Mesopotamia. And once these three kings are killed, that the will simply submit this authority. And then in verse 25, his activities, he speaks words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He shall think to change the times and the law. The word times refers to the Jewish festivals. Jeroboam the first tried one hand and changed the times of the Jewish festivals, so of the Antichrist. And the law is the Mosaic law, trying hard to the Mosaic law. And all of these shall be given into his hands. He shall emphasize a massive persecution. They'll be successful for three and a half years here, eight times, times and a half a time. That's equal to three and a half years. The verse 26 will come as fall. Judgment shall be set, it shall take away his dominion to consume it, to destroy it to the end. Only then, at the final <coughs> stage of the final rule of the Danish Gentiles will be the kingdom of God in verse 27. The inheritance of the people of the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom, the dominion, and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole earth. This kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve the Him. So verse 28 is the conclusion, and Daniel was very much troubled by what he was just told. But he kept the matter in his heart. He did not emphasize this to his, to his contemporaries, but they rather did his book. Now let's put together what we learned from chapter 2 and chapter 7. Chapter 2 describes four empires, the Babylon Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, <coughs> the Hellenistic Empire, that there goes two stages, a United stage and a fourth division stage, and the fourth empire, that in this vision uh, of chapter 2, had three stages, a United stage, a two-division stage, and a ten-division stage, then came the kingdom of God. In chapter 7, we have some additional elements. Again, four animalistic animals. The first one represents the Babylonian Empire, the second one, the Medo-Persian Empire, the third, the Hellenistic Empire, and the fourth empire that goes four stages in chapter 7. First of all, a United stage. Secondly, a one-world government stage. Thirdly, a tenth division stage, and fourthly, a normal stage. So combining chapters 2 and 7, and the capital B and the Roman number 3, ultimately the fourth empire that goes five specific stages. The first stage was the, was the um, Roman Empire stage, which began the policy of imperialism. 
Then you go to the two division stage in the year 364. And since then, we've been, we're still in the street division stage ever since we've had this east-west balance of power. And we can trace it historically. Let's deal with the eastern balance of power. It began in Constantinople, not Istanbul. And that's what the power headquarters and capital was until the year 1453. In the year 1453, it was invaded by the Turks that established Turkey. But many of the scholars fled northward into Russia. They infiltrated the Russian government and they Romanized it. As the kings of Russia became known as Tsars. What does Tsar mean? Tsar is Russian for Caesar. Tsar is, is Russian for Caesar. And the official name for a long time was the Third Roman Empire. Long before it was called the Soviet Union, it was called the Third Roman Empire. For a long time, it was, was the eastern balance of power with the countless block nations. Though in the present time, we're seeing certain transitions happening. The western balance of power shifted more frequently. It remained in Rome until the year 479, when it was sacked by the Neo pagans or Gauls. Eventually, it shifted to the Franks under Charlemagne in the year 800 AD. Charlemagne, 800 AD. He conquered the territory that used to be the Western Roman Empire, and the official name was the Roman, the Roman Empire of the Frankish Nation. Roman Empire of the Frankish Nation, not after till 962. Then out of the first of Germany, conquered all that territory, and the German kings called themselves Kaisers. What does Kaiser mean? Kaiser is German for Caesar. And the official title was the Holy Roman Empire of the German Nation. The Holy Roman Empire of the German Nation. Today, the Western balance of powers with the Western democracies. But at some point, this East-West balance is going to collapse. And most likely, that will happen in fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Ezekiel 38 and 39, for Russia and its Eastern allies invade Israel and will be destroyed within Israel. And that will lead to the development of this one world government. And the one world government will begin before the tribulation, also will end before the tribulation starts. Although the last of Babel is not revealed. Eventually it will break down into ten kingdoms. So the fourth stage will be the 10 division stage. So again, if you take the Bible, it has to cover the whole world. It'll begin before the tribulation starts. It'll continue until the midpoint of the tribulation. And then the first stage will be the Antichrist stage, which will be from the midpoint of the tribulation until the end of the tribulation. When it kills three of those 10 kings, chapter seven will suddenly Authority. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 13 on the bottom of this outline.
what Daniel says, and not, not Daniel, but what John says in Revelation 13 is what Daniel saw in chapter 7. But what he sees is more details about the fourth beast. It arises out of the seas, again, it arises out of the Gentile world. In the first two, notice the use of those animalistic features that we saw in Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, verse 12, we were told that the meaning came to an end, but the influence continued for a period of time, and you will see why. Because the body of this fourth beast of Daniel's sword has the body of a leopard. And that emphasizes the Hellenistic influences of the third empire upon the fourth one. The feet of the bear represent the bear was the meat of Persian Empire, and so the meat of Persian influences on the fourth beast. And the lion represented the Babylonian Empire, which is, which is um, showing the Babylonian influences on the Fourth Empire. And this explains Daniel 7, verse 12. The meaning ended, but the life was prolonged for a season of time. In the verse 2 at the end, he was given authority and power, and secondly, this authority and power over the world. Now verses 3 through 8 describe the worship of the Antichrist. Verses 1 and 2, I should mention something else. Verse 1. It also mentions the ten horns. This will be known from Daniel 7 what it means. The ten horns are the ten kingdoms which will be divided from the one world empire. One world kingdom. Also mentions seven heads, which is new. Daniel 7 he mentions seven heads. So you have ten horns and seven heads. What the seven heads represent? We won't know until we get to the fourth uh, passage, which will be chapter 17. But verses uh, 3 to 8 simply describe is the development of the counterfeit trinity, with um, Satan being the counterfeit father and the Antichrist the counterfeit son. And Antichrist would claim to be God himself and call upon the whole world to worship him as God. to go in chapter 13. I go to chapter 17. Next page. In chapter 17, he sees a vision of a great poet. And this great harlot has a name in verses 4 and 5, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother harlots of the abominations of the earth. It's falling back on what is written in Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 through 12, Genesis 10, 8 through 12, and Genesis 11, 1 through 9, Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. But Babylon is the city which originated idolatry. And this represents the one world religion that ruled the world 
religiously for the first half of the tribulation. That's the support of the Ten Kingdoms initially in the first half of the tribulation, and here the counterfeit part of the Messiah. And it calls upon the whole world into a one world religion, and those who refuse to join it will suffer persecution. In verse 6, the true believers that will not join this religion are going to suffer persecution. Many, many will be martyred. Let's get down to verse 7. And in verses 7 through 14, we have an explanation of the political government that is supporting Ecclesiastical Babylon. Verse 7, the composition of the beast, ten horns and seven heads. Something you first learned back in chapter 13, verse 1, where the other ten horns are, the ten kingdoms that rule contemporaneously. They exist at the same period of history, future history, and exist at the same time. And co-rule at the same time. But now he also has seven heads, which is not yet interpreted. In verse 8, in his war against the ten kings, in that war he will be killed at the midpoint of tribulation. However, the end of the end, uh, Satan will raise him back to life. The war continues. Three kings are killed, and the seven are subject to him. Now, verses 9 and 10 represent the seven heads, which I have a quote I could use to explain this, but I've never done it. And notice he says, seven heads are seven mountains. Um, and people out of way stop reading there. But what city sits upon seven hills? Rome. Therefore, this represents Rome. Actually, there, were more than, there was more than one city in ancient times since set to be seven, seven hills. One is what is now Amman, Jordan. But the city of the Ammonites, the campus of the Ammonites, also set on seven hills. But notice what he says about these seven hills. And whatever word mountain or hill is just symbolically, probably symbolizes a king or kingdom or throne. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And notice that doesn't, the sense doesn't stop there. And they are seven kings. So not talking about any specific city. The seven heads are seven kings. So you have the ten horns, which are ten kings, but keep in mind they are ruling contemporaries to each other. They exist at the same point of time. But the seven heads are seven kings which are sequential. That's what it says. So the time of Christ's revelation, five are fallen. Five are fallen. Before what became the Roman Empire that conquered Israel, it had five different governments that came and go, that came and went. So the first head of the Tarquin, T-R-Q-U-I-N, T-R-Q-I-N, the Tarquin kings, that appears in 733 to 510 BC, 753 to 510 BC. The second government was called the Councilors, the Councilors who ruled from 509 to 494 BC. 509 to 494 BC. The third group of the plebeians, P-L-E, 
B-I-A-N-S, P-I-E, B-I-D-N-S, from 494 to 390, 494 to 390 BC. The fourth group are called the Republicans. Sorry about that. The ones the Republicans, the 